0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today, though, is Beating the Odds. Beating the Odds, Joshua eleven four 4 to 20. Right? Uh, if you were here last week, you heard lots of testimonies. It was a really, really moving service. Uh and the testimonies very moving many trials many battles many people sharing about 2017 getting knocked down wounded scarred but by God's grace we're still here right uh, that was that was it we're still here we got back up or even if we didn't get back up we're still crawling forward right treading water a lot of you know what I'm talking about so many very very moving testimonies and really what came through was we're living in victory in spite of what we're going through we're living in victory by faith. By faith. First John 5.4 is a great one. It's a verse that kind of hit me when I was thinking about this. First John 5.4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Even our faith. Wow. There's a song about that too, right? Faith is the victory. Remember that old hymn? That's beautiful. We're going to see this in Joshua chapter 11 today. Chapter 11, which is really not just about a physical battle that the Israelites are fighting, but it's a, it's a picture of our life, the Christian life. It's a different battle. They're fighting a physical battle, but that's a picture of our spiritual battle. Remember, it's all a picture. Why all this happened, Joshua, Jesus, taking the promised land, us fighting, fighting our spiritual battles. It's a different battle, physical versus spiritual, but it's the same faith. It's all faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us through the battle of even getting here through the unbelievable cold and a lot of battles and struggles and, and all that we've gone through. But Lord, here we are starting off 2018, a new year by faith. I just pray that your spirit would speak to us and encourage us and uh, give us hope in this battle that we're fighting. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage. I thought I was going to get through all the way through 11, but I didn't. We're going to finish it next week because there's just too many good things here. But we're going to almost get through 11 here. So we're starting with verse 4 where it says, They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel Very reminiscent of what's going on in the world today, right? It's Israel versus the UN, right? Crazy. What's going on? We're seeing this very picture being fulfilled today we, Joshua Revelation read both You'll see some amazing pictures there the Lord said to Joshua verse 6 Do not be afraid of them because by this time tomorrow I will hand all of them over to Israel slain but you are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them all the way to the greater Sidon, to Mishraphah, Maim, and to the valley of Mitzpah on the east until no survivors were left. Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. At that time, Joshua turned back and captured Hazor and put its king to the sword. Hazor had been the head of all these kingdoms. Everyone in it, they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anything that breathed, and he burned up Hazor itself. Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Yet Israel did not burn any of the cities built on their mounds except Hazor, which Joshua burned. The Israelites carried off for themselves all the plunder and livestock for, for these cities. But all the people they put to the sword until they completely destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed. As the Lord commanded His servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone that of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took this entire land, the hill country, all the Negev, the whole region of Goshen, the western foothills, the Arabah, and the mountains of Israel with their foothills. From Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir, to Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon, he captured all their kings and struck them down, putting them to death. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time, Except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. So there's, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, which we'll get to. But this is the, what I'm going to focus on is, are the keys to beating the odds. To living the victorious Christian life, we have to beat tremendous odds. And it's all by, hint, faith. (laughs) Thank you. Faith. It's all by faith. It's all by faith. Let's look at verses 4 to 8 again where it shows the faith here. We see that it's all by faith. Verse 4. They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, because by this time tomorrow i hand all of them over to Israel slain. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Merim and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. So we see faith. Faith. They, they faced impossible odds. Impossible odds. Anybody here facing tough odds? A lot of us, right? facing tough odds. They faced huge numbers of soldiers. They had horses, and they had chariots. And not just chariots, but we know from other parts of the Bible and also from archaeology, the chariots had these, these metal blades on the wheels, and every time it turned, it would just churn, and they would charge in with these horses and chariots to destroy Israel. That was the whole point. That's what they were trying to do. But... The Israelites believed God and they acted on their faith. They acted on their faith. Our actions show our faith is real. How how are we saved? Faith. It's totally faith. We believe Jesus died on the cross for us. He paid for our sin and we trust him. We're not going to trust in our own good works. We're not going to trust anything we've done. We're not trusting in, in anything else. We we. Say, God, I'm trusting in Jesus. We're saved by faith. I turn away from my old life, the sinful life. I'm trusting you to forgive me and give me a brand new life in Jesus Christ. I give my life to you, God. We're saved by faith. But how we live after that time, after we are born again, the Bible calls it being born again, you must be born again, Jesus said. After that, after that, our actions show if our faith is real. If we just pray that prayer and there's no change, there was no real faith. But if we truly put our faith in Jesus, there will be changes in our life. We will become more and more like Jesus Christ. We're saved by faith, but our how we live shows that our faith is real. Remember, remember what it talks about Peter? Make your calling and election sure. Talking about how we live makes it sure. Have we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Is our life changing? Are we seeing, not perfect, no, not perfect, but are we seeing that progressive 2017, 2018, 2030, you know, whatever it is, you know? uh, Are we seeing that progression? Are we seeing that that change in our life? What are you facing today? What impossible odds? Are we going to face it by faith, putting our faith in Christ, but then facing it by faith? Do we, are we going to view it by God's perspective? It's all faith. And I'm giving away the rest of the sermon here. It's all faith. We have to act on that faith. The, the first faith, in, the verse, in verse 8, we're going to see it's obedient faith. I want to bring out the obedient faith. Faith and then obedient faith. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them all the way to the greater uh, Sidon. Misra, Maim, and to the valley of Mitzvah in the east until no survivors were left. Verse 9, Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. But, but the, the thing that comes out here is, is they did what God told them to do. They, they defeated them and destroyed them until no survivors were left. They, they, they were obedient to what God had told them to do. And the thing to understand, and I've mentioned this many times, the obedience was killing all the enemy, killing everybody. But this was God's judgment. Understand the bigger picture. This is God's judgment on a depraved civilization. They had crossed the lines of grace, as every civilization does at some point. You read the Bible, you see that that God judges. He sends calamity, he sends sickness, he sends disaster, He sends the, the, the armies to, to attack. And, and when that happens, he sends His judgment. They had crossed the line of grace. In fact, in Genesis 15:16, in Genesis 15:16, God said to Abraham. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. He's talking about the promised land right here. He showed Abraham the promised land. He said, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. He had to wait four generations. But because the sin had not reached its full measure, God has a measuring cup. And when the sin reaches its full measure, both as an individual and as a country, there's judgment. And, and that's what we're seeing here. They had reached the full measure. Archaeologists, when they dug into Canaan and the Amorite civilization, it was a depraved, disgusting thing. I couldn't even talk to you about what they found. It was a depraved civilization. But there were two evils that they practiced that God especially condemned in his word and when he judged them. The first one is they burned their children alive as sacrifices. They killed their children as sacrifices to their gods. And then also, along with that, they also had these incredible sexual orgies. It was part of their religious worship. And when I say orgies, I mean... It is beyond comprehension even for the USA today. It'd be beyond comprehension of what they were involved in Uh, But it was all part of their religious worship, but those were the two things God judged killing the babies and the sexual orgies Hmm And he's hint for USA today When the cup gets full. The full measure. Very, very important to understand what he, he, in his word, what he condemned and what they found. It was exactly that. Now, God didn't just pick the Canaanites, the the land of Canaan. He didn't just pick the land of Canaan on a whim. He didn't say, oh, this looks like a good spot, uh, Moses. Just head on over there. Uh, He didn't just, you know, he didn't do that. When he made the promise to Abraham, there was a reason why God Pick this it was a center of the mediterranean world. If you know anything about the the land routes and, and and everything It was the center. It was a huge influence in the, on the entire Mediterranean world. It was the belly button It's the belly button of the world today Isn't it? Ezekiel 5 5 and Ezekiel 5 5 God said This is what the sovereign Lord said. This is Jerusalem which I have set in the center of the nations with countries all around her. That was a long time ago. It's the belly button of the world. It's the center. It's no accident that all these thousands of years later, there's still Jerusalem and Israel still dominates the news. Spiritually, God has done it, but he picked the spot. He picked the spot. And that's why God called Abraham... And the Jewish people to the promised land and gave them that land and gave them Jerusalem. Because he wanted to remove, he was removing the evil influence of the Amorites. Which was a cancer to the entire world. Everything went through there. It was a cancer to the entire world at that time. And he called Abraham to to the belly button, to the center of the, the world. He called Abraham and the Israelites there to be a holy people, showing the rest of the world the holy God, the one true God, holy God. That's why he put them there. And that was their call. And have they done a good job? (laughs) Off and on, read the Bible. But but that's why they were called there. That's why they were called there. And that's why God used the Israelites to judge the Amorites. In fact, verse 8, look at what it says. God gave them over. I will hand all them over to Israel. Uh, Verse 8, I'm sorry, reading 6 there. Um, And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. God gave them over. Verse 20, look at verse 20, which we read a little bit ago. It says, verse 20. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them, totally exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. Why did God harden their hearts? Well, their hearts were already very, very hard. For generation after generation, they had hardened their hearts, and God said, that's it, you've crossed the line of grace, now you're petrified. The condition you're in, you are petrified in that now. You're, you there's no turning back you've crossed the line of grace. He did the same thing with pharaoh He did the same thing with the pharisees He didn't make their hearts hard. They were already hard He just petrified them in that state because that was part of the judgment. They had crossed the line of grace in the judgment so very important to understand the full picture of what god is doing here. It's ultimate judgment, but the important thing for us is is that God's judgment of the Amorites is also an exhortation to us, to our country, right, and to the church in America, not to cross that line of grace, to turn back, but also, this is another way, the Amorites, the Canaanites, they are a picture of what in our life? Sin. They're a picture of sin, Their cities are, these walled cities are a picture of the strongholds in our life. The Amorites are a picture, the Hivites and Jebusites and all of them. They're a picture of sin in our life. And just as they were fighting a physical battle, we're fighting a spiritual battle. And just as they had to wipe them out and not leave one alive, we have to do what with sin? We have to exterminate sin in our life. This is what this is all about. Is for us, is we have to we have to wipe it out and be obedient to God, no matter how we feel about it. <laughs> right? No matter how we feel about it, we're, we're commanded to wipe. Out anything in our life that goes against God's word, God's purpose, God's will for us, we have to get rid of it. If we don't, it will haunt us. Wait, till we get a little longer, further on in Joshua, it will haunt us. We have to get rid of it. That's why communion is so vital. Communion, a very important part of communion, not just remembering what Jesus did for us, but it's also a time to cleanse sin and get and and focus on purifying our hearts and purifying our light's, lives so that we can have. True communion with God Very very important that we exterminate that we're obedient. So faith we see faith we see obedient faith And now I want to look at verse 9 where we see dependent faith in verse 9 where he says Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses and he burned their chariots Why do I call this dependent faith? Why would I call it dependent? Because they burn their enemy's chariots and they cripple their horses, that would be like in a war you capture an enemy's tank and artillery. What do you usually do when you capture the enemy's tanks and artillery? You turn them around and face them toward the enemy and you use them on the enemy, right? That's what you do. You, that's what makes sense. That's military training, right? But they didn't do that. They got because God gave very specific directions. He said, you're to destroy them. Destroy the chariots and cripple the horses. So they can't be used for fighting anymore. They can be they're still alive, but they can't be you know, used to fight you anymore. And that the reason he did that is he wanted to keep them dependent on him. Dependent on him. He was teaching them a very important lesson. Those horses and chariots didn't help their army. Right? Didn't help them. You don't need them either. You don't need the world's weapons. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, right? Second Corinthians ten, we we don't use the world's weapons. The key to victory and beating the odds is to be obedient and dependent on God. To be dependent on God, and and. This lesson is for us 2017 it's for us as Christians He's teaching us dependence. we heard the testimonies last week a lot of spiritual battles one of the main reasons that God allows us to be attacked to go through battles and Trials is because he wants us to stay dependent What happens as soon as we are attacked what happens as soon as we hit the wall what happens? God help me. We forget about them all, you know, things are going great, right? But as soon as we hit that battle, we got a trial, maybe a, a, a thorn in the flesh, an ongoing the, the 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 hip, you know, limping, you know. Like Jacob. We that makes us dependent. It keeps us dependent. 2017 was a tough year for a lot of us. I know it was for me. Many lessons I learned this year, but probably the main one I learned was dependence. Since Ryan died, I've had very low energy. Uh, I'm sure many of you (laughs) have noticed. My emotional tank, we all have tanks. We have physical, mental, spiritual tanks. Most of those have been good, but my emotional tank has been very low. Running on empty. I'm finally turning a corner after these six months. But many days, I didn't feel like doing anything. Barely functioning. Phone calls and, and visits. Have taken great effort. When you're grieving, what do you want to do? You just want to crawl into a cocoon, right? Same depression or grieving. You all know, you know. We've all gone through something. We just want to crawl into that cocoon. And even sermons, Sunday morning, as I, you know, I get up early and I pray and I put the fi- you know, final preparation for the sermon. And many times, I didn't want to do it. I'd be like, God, I got nothing. I've got nothing. It's got to be all you. Because I've got nothing. And I've been amazed because I've seen God work. I've seen fruit and lives change and people come up, wow, that God really knew I needed that today. And I'm like, but I was like, I know it wasn't me as I'm thinking. As people are talking about I know that wasn't me because I've got nothing. It was, i got nothing to give. It was Dependence God, it's got to be you dependence. And that's what Paul Is talking about in 2nd Corinthians 1 8 9, which is a verse. I've really been Thinking about a lot lately meditating on where he says We were under great pressure and I've had nothing like Paul had none of us have all of us put together have nothing compared to what Paul had And look at he says We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. That's a good one to memorize. Dependent faith. And then really closely connected with that in verse 18, we see persevering faith. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. Persevering faith. It took a long time. But Joshua never stopped fighting until the last enemy was defeated. Verse 23 and Joshua 11 says, so Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses and gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the Lord had rest from war. He, he never got to stop fighting for a long time. It was a long, long battle. And this is for us as Christians. You know, we don't, we accept Christ and we fight some spiritual battles and okay, now we can go on vacation. Now I can relax. Well, there's R&R. God knows to give us some R&R. We all need it. But, you know, after we get our R&R, it's back to the trench. It's back to the war. And we as Christians will never be free of spiritual battles until we reach our rest in heaven someday. They never end. Right, Chuck? Chuck just gets past his one cancer, and now there's another. But he keeps doing his ministry, keeps doing the the street ministry and the street light ministry. He keeps doing it. We will never be free of the battles. The outward battles as we fight Satan and the world, and the inward battles as we fight the old sinful nature... If you don't know what I'm talking about, read Romans 7. Even the Apostle Paul was still fighting that battle. Till the very end. And it's easy to get discouraged. That's why God gave Joshua and us the promise way back in Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where he says... Remember that? It's been about two years now. But uh, Joshua 1, 8... It's easy to get discouraged. And that's why God has given us this promise that by God's grace, we can persevere in our faith. It's all grace. How about you this morning as we get ready for communion here? Maybe you're here and you're discouraged. (laughs) Maybe you're ready to quit. Maybe you're tempted to turn to empty fixes. Empty fixes. Maybe it's self-medicating. A Lot of ways we can self medicate, right? But not just self medicating, it doesn't have to be drugs or drinking. It could be anything that we use to soothe ourselves. It could be food. It could be sexual sin. It could be Facebook. It could be gaming. It could be anything. Any old idol will do. Not that any not that anything. Even some of these things aren't bad in of themselves, but it's when it becomes an idol that it becomes bad. It's when we turn to that instead of to God to soothe, to comfort, right? When we turn to anything, that, that, to anything else to find our comfort, that's when it becomes an idol. Even good things can become negative then. Is that what we turn to or do we turn to God in faith? Obedient faith, dependent faith, persevering faith. Do we have God's perspective in every trial that we're facing? Do we have his perspective? Do we say, God, I'm going to allow you to work your ultimate purpose in me through what you're allowing me to go through? There's a reason. There's got to be a reason. I don't like it, but there's got to be a reason. Am I going to let you work your ultimate purpose in me? A beautiful example of this is a story I've seen. At this point in the sermon, there was no audio. The story is about Diane O'Dell, who was afflicted when only three years old with Bilbo spinal polio, three years before a vaccine was discovered. She lived in an iron lung for more than 60 years. Here are some quotes from her story. I often wonder what kind of person I would have been had I not been handicapped, she said. I have a lot of friends who call with their problems and they say I encourage them and help them pick up their spirits. I like being that kind of person, but I might not have been. The seven-foot-long respirator encases her twisted body up to the neck, creating a vacuum that forces air into her lungs. Pinned in the 750-pound metal tube, she can move only her head and her facial muscles. But the warmth of a loving family has softened the iron's grip. We're all very close said her mother, Geneva, who is as tied to the lung as her daughter. I've always told Diane, you make your own happiness. An avid reader, Odell tutors one to two school children in her home each year. I like the little ones the best, she said. They're fascinated by the iron lung. They think everything I say is magic. Lying on her back, she talks with visitors looking into a mirror and operates a telephone, tape deck, and TV by blowing into a small tube. With a tape recorder and volunteer scribe, she is writing a children's book about a blind boy who makes wishes on a distant star. Who else could see a star that can't be seen but a child who can't see? He sees it with his heart. I'm trying to get across that. Yes, people are gonna call you names and not play with you because you're different, but you can still accomplish something. Life in an iron lung rarely lasts for decades, said Dr. Robert Christopher, a polio specialist at the University of Tennessee. Unable to cough, such patients choke easily or develop pneumonia. I have to assume this woman has had a wonderful caring family unless someone was watching her very carefully she could not have lived as long as she has Dr Dr Walton Harrison a pediatrician who has treated Odell most of her life said she is often in pain from inflamed joints and twisted spine. She has been an inspiration to me ever since I've been seeing her. I never heard her complain about her life, Harrison said. When I first saw her as a child, I felt she would not live to be an adult. But as long as she has the support of her family and the determination that she has, she may outlive us all. There is much more to her life than survival, though. Churchgoers have occasionally celebrated the Sabbath at her house, holiday parties have been frequent, and Halloween trick-or-treaters are invited to show off their costumes. She has drawn on her indomitable attitude to counsel handicapped children. Children don't ask anything but that you love them. Even if you can't reach out and touch them, they know you care. I'm just reading some excerpts here. What was the key? She ended up dying in 2008 because there was a power outage. The generators stopped and they couldn't get them going. The power went out and the generators couldn't get it going and and she died. But obviously after that many years, 60 years, I think God knew it was time to bring her home. She wasn't supposed to live more than a few years. She lived 60. She wasn't supposed to live a full life. No way. But she lived a happy life, a joyful life. A life with purpose. How did she beat those odds? The one key word was faith. Her faith. I just thought that was a beautiful picture of Joshua 11 and what it's talking about. Beating the odds. Faith is the key. Faith is the key. Saving faith, that's the starting point. Without saving faith, we can't beat the odds. Without saving faith, we can't live by faith. Saving faith, that time when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and our, give our life to Him. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace, which means gift, putting our faith in God's gift. By receiving that gift, have you ever put your faith in God's grace? He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in our place, took our punishment, Took our suffering, took our sin, took it all on the cross, died in our place, rose again from the dead three days later to prove he did that for us. To prove he was the son of God. And we need to put our faith in him. Have you ever had that time where you said, God, I don't want to sin anymore. I repent of it. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. And after we do that, that's the first step, the starting step. We become a brand new person in Jesus Christ. But then, after we're saved by faith, we need to live by faith. Living by faith. Are we living by faith? As we saw with this woman in the iron lung, are we living by faith? Every breath, depending on God. Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. We live by faith. Just as we're saved by faith, we live by faith. Every breath, God, I need you. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And that's what communion is all about. Communion is reminding that we need to be connected. We need that communion with God through his son Jesus. We it's a reminder that by, that Jesus died for us and that we our, our faith in Jesus saved us, but that we must live by that faith. We have to live in that constant communion. We have to remove anything in our life that that blocks that communion that's anything in our life, any sin, any disobedience, any idols, any anything that blocks that love relationship, that blocks that intimacy with God that he wants us to have. And this communion is the first one of the year 2018. It's a time to have a new start. No matter what you've carried in here today, no matter what struggles we've battled, no matter what idols in our life, we can start this year by God's mercy and grace, brand new. What communion is? It's, we, we have the bread and the cup. The bread represents the body of Christ that he gave for us. The cup represents the blood of Christ that he shed for us. How we take it, we just open up with some worship. We have some worship playing, and and when you feel led, to just come forward and and, and get take the the cup and, and the bread, and you can take it back to your seat. You could. We have prayer teams in the corners if you want someone to pray with and and take it with them. That you need somebody to pray with, they're there. If you need help uh, getting up here, just ask someone to grab it for you. Someone will bring it back to you. There's two reasons why you shouldn't take it. The Bible is very clear in communion. If we're not a Christian yet, we shouldn't take it. That's okay. Sit here and pray about it and think about it. If you're not ready to take that step, then wait for the next time. Also, if there's a sin in our life that we aren't willing to surrender. Notice I didn't say sin because none of you could take it, right? But if there's something that we're saying, God, you can't have this. You can have anything else but not this one. This one's locked away. I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not. Then don't take communion in an unworthy way. Very, very serious. God's discipline, God's judgment. But I hope everyone here takes the step of faith and gives their life to Christ. And everyone here opens their hands and say, God, I, I'm struggling with this, but I, I need your help. I, whatever it takes, I'm going to surrender this to you. Whoever I have to talk to, whatever it takes. I hope I hope and everyone does take it because everyone can but there's no pressure it's between you and God and we do it every month you can wait till the next time however God leads let's pray As we go to this time of prayer to prepare for communion how is God speaking to us Have you been saved by faith. Has there been a time in your life where you said, God, I believe Jesus died for me. For my sin. For every all the garbage in my life. All the shame that I've carried. All the guilt that I have. I believe he died so that I could be forgiven and have a brand new start. A brand new life. I believe that. I want to walk away from that old life and I want a brand new life in Jesus. I want to live the life you created me to live. I put my faith in Jesus, I give my life to Him. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, something amazing, incredible, mind-boggling has happened to you. You've become a brand new person. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You're going to have a relationship with God and it's going to shock you to have this connection with God now. I want to encourage you to tell someone, maybe you have a family member or a friend here. or If you don't, talk to me, tell me. Tell someone because we're going to be excited and, and, and encourage you in your new life in Christ. And now you can commune. We can commune with God anytime, anywhere, not just this morning, but anytime. Wherever we are, we can talk to God and commune with him and and connect with him in his mercy and grace. For those who have already put their faith in Christ, how's the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What way is God calling us to move forward in our faith? Maybe there's an obedience in some area that we have to confess something and surrender and talk to someone if it's too strong. Maybe it's the surrender and uh, dependence. Maybe it's, God, I need your presence and communion with you to persevere through what I'm, you're calling me to because I want I want your purpose fulfilled in my life. Father, we pray that your spirit would complete your purpose for this morning and each of us as we commune with you. We pray that in Jesus name. Amen.